Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They were coming closer and closer together and intensity. Pam was starting to look at me with a scary look, you know, and, and I was like, I want out of here. Uh, but in the midst of that, I knew those babies were about to come. And that's what he's saying it'll be like. Yes, these things have always happened, but not with the frequency and intensity that's taking place today. Well, another happy Friday to you. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? We're taking up in Luke chapter 12, verse 45, and we're continuing to consider Jesus' teaching on his second coming. So let's buckle up and listen in. If that servant, verse 45, now he contrasts, he says, this is what I have for you. Here's what I want to make sure you avoid. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day he's not looking for him at an hour he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Peter had said, are you talking just us or are you talking to everybody? And he said, talking to everybody. I'm talking to you and now I'm going to talk to them. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. It's an interesting statement because that is in effect what people who don't believe that the Lord is going to come for us prior to Daniel's 70th week, prior to the tribulation, prior to uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, they're saying my master is delaying his coming. No, we know this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Hey, I'll share some things in a moment that absolutely had to happen and have happened. And then I'll share a few that are yet ahead that I don't really expect to be here for. But nevertheless, if you and there are many Christians who are, well, I'm I'm a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial Christian. What that means if you're brand new to all of this. Premillennial just means I believe that Jesus will return for us and then with us and that he will return and establish his millennial kingdom, thousand year reign upon the earth. Those who are uh, post-millennial, they think that, well, th the millennium is now. And I got to tell you, go back and read Isaiah, check out some of the other uh, prophets of the Old Testament. And, and, and let me be completely clear on this. If this is the millennium, we've been ripped off because we're promised such a better world than that world, the world that we're in. We're talking about a time where there's no violence, where there's no pain, where there's no death, where no, the millennium is glorious. And this isn't it. So, so the whole thing is, is there are, there's millennialism, then there's tribulationalism. The tribulation is a seven-year period where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Now, if you're in Christ, you're not appointed unto wrath. And so we come to the reality of the rapture. And by the way, all Christians that study these things believe in a rapture. But there is a disagreement as to when the rapture takes place. Some say it takes place before the seven-year period. Some say it takes place in the middle of the seven-year period. Some say it takes place, and I'm not saying, you know, like you, you, and you. No, but I could go the other way. But, but uh, some say it takes place at the end of the tribulation. Well, here, here's the problem. If it takes place at the end or it takes place in the middle, well, then... 
you could actually say, as he says, many will. My master's delaying is coming. They're not looking for Jesus Christ. They're not expecting that at any moment the trumpet could sound and we could be caught up. No, they're looking for Antichrist. He is coming, you know. But, but our Lord is coming for us, I believe, first. It's a major issue. And, and so there's, there's a second issue here, though. He's not just saying, it's all about my master as delaying is coming. By the way, Peter says there would be mockers in the last day saying, where's the promise of his coming? You know, everything just continues as it always has. These guys aren't mocking the idea of his coming. They're just saying, I don't think it's now. I don't think we can expect it. I don't think we should anticipate it. Jesus is saying, hey, be ready. It could happen at any moment and will happen without any warning. But he talks about the one here who isn't a mocker. He calls the Lord his master. And he says he begins to beat his male and female servants. You know something's wrong there. And then he's gluttonous and he's drunk. Oh, listen, 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. We're new creatures in Christ. You might have been a violent or aggressive or gluttonous or drunken person in your old life, but he says in this new life, there's no room for that. Why? Because in order to fulfill the call on our life, we got to put away the old life and live the life he's planned for us and, and called us to. Well, anyway, the master of that servant, he said, is going to come at a time when he's unaware. And then it says he'll cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. That doesn't sound like something that we should expect to happen to any believer. You see, our sins already judged on the cross. Our works will be judged. There will be rewards. Well, all of that brings us to verse 47. The servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. He's saying there will be discipline in this life for failing to obey the Lord. And listen, there are built-in consequences of sin. It's impossible to sin and not incur some judgment. Now, we're not going to be separated from him for eternity. That's a done deal. But anyone who's so foolish as to think, well, I can sin because I've already got my ticket to heaven. Are you sure you even have your ticket? That mindset would say something's not right here. And so what he's saying is God will be completely just and impartial in his judgment. If we know what's right and we do what's wrong, he says, we're going to suffer for that. That's not the same as being cast off or written off or cast away. That's not the same as the guy in verse 46 who's cut in two and appointed his portion with the unbelievers. No, he's saying there will be discipline here. And the one who doesn't know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. That's just a reminder. He's totally just. He, 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 he holds us accountable for what we know. And that's really the age-abiding lesson here. It's in the, the latter part of verse 48. Everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. So the more I understand, the more he holds me accountable. The, the, the more I share with others, the more he expects me to act upon the things I share. Because I'm proving by sharing them, I understand them. And then he says to him, to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. The next few things Jesus says in verses 49 through 53 have confused many people. So I'll make these as simple and clear and concise as possible. 
He says, I come to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Fire on the earth. Fire is always in scripture a symbol of judgment. Even your works and mine are going to be tested by fire. Our works will be judged. But here he's talking about a fire on the earth. Read the book of Revelation and put that one together. Then he says he has a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. A baptism to be baptized with. He is pointing us to the cross. Can we be sure about that? Absolutely. Here's why. He was physically baptized just as most of us have been. He was spiritually baptized because the spirit descended at his physical baptism and remained upon him in the form of a dove. That was for John the Baptist, you know, sake so that he could see it and report it and, and share it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he's talking about another baptism here. It's the one he refers to when James and John come and they're like, hey, we want to sit at your right hand and left when you come into your kingdom. We want those places of preeminence and prominence. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you be baptized with the baptism I'll be baptized with? Can you drink the cup I'll drink? And if you remember the story, John's like, and, and his brother, oh, no problem. We're there. Where? How did Jesus come into his kingdom? He was nailed to a cross and, and they had asked, let us be there with you. Hey, there were two with him, a thief on this side and a thief on that side, also nailed to crosses. That's how Jesus was going to enter in. That's how he was going to bring us out. That's the exodus he discussed with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. The way he would bring us out of the bondage and slavery of sin and self. Well, in any case, he says, I, I'm, I'm here for that. And then he says, do you suppose I came to bring peace on earth or give peace on earth? Hey, I suppose that. He's the prince of peace. He is the promise of peace. He is the one who has given us peace with the Father by his blood, who gives us peace within because we know we're right with God, who makes it possible for us to be at peace with one another. He is the prince of peace. So what's he talking about? Do you suppose I came to give peace? Oh, on earth. No, I tell you not at all, but rather division. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not like he's saying, here's my plan. Here's my vision. Here's my mission. I want to cause division. No, he's saying this is going to happen. How does it happen? When you come to Christ, those closest to you, that's your family. Those you work among or live among or interact with. Well, they start to look at you completely different. Now, you are going to be different. And so, you know, makes sense that they look at you different, but mostly they misunderstand. So, so what he says is, listen, from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against his father. Mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, what this isn't is an excuse to say, well, Jesus said I wasn't going to get along with my mother-in-law. Well, you know, why would I expect to? No, he's saying because of your relationship to him, there will be a division. And that division is, is serious because when you come to Christ and your family hasn't, well, you're walking in the light, but they're still walking in darkness. You're walking in truth and they're, they're still deceived. You're alive and they're still dead in trespasses and sin. And, and they see that there's a difference. They just don't really understand how it all happened. And, and, and you try to explain it and they're like, I don't get it. And, and, and well, we've all been there. 
there are three battlefronts and we battle on all of them. We battle against the world once we come to Christ because all that's in the world, all that's opposed to Christ, all that's opposed to truth, everyone who's opposed to him will be opposed to us as well. We battle with our own fleshly nature. We've talked about this recently. Our old sinful nature didn't seem to get the memo that, that we're alive in Christ and dead to sin. He's like, no, let's sin some more. And we're like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. No, I think we are. And, and there's this battle within. And then there's the battle with the devil, our adversary, the accuser, the tempter, the slanderer, the deceiver. And so we're fighting against the world. We're fighting against the flesh. We're fighting against the devil. No wonder he says, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. And nevertheless, I'm at peace with God through the blood Jesus shed for me. I'm at peace within as I bring my cares and concerns before him in prayer. Well, as he said to the multitudes, verse 54, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it is. And um, when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather. And there is hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. How is it you do not discern this time? Apparently their meteorologists did better than ours and they could tell when the rain was coming and they could tell when it was going to be dry or windy. But he says, listen, if you can figure that out, if you can look to the sky and know what's coming, how is it you don't understand the times in which you're living? I mentioned that people are freaking out just as they did with Y2K over 2012. I'll tell you what's going to happen in 2012. 2012 is going to come just like 2009 and 10 and 11 and then it's going to come and then it's going to pass and then we'll wait till the end of the next decade and more strangeness will happen. And, but but, but, but here's, here's the thing. Jesus did make it very clear that, that though we don't know the the day or the hour of his coming. We don't know when the trumpet will sound and when our opportunities here will end and we'll be in glory with him. We'll see him as he is. We'll worship him there at the throne of the Father. We'll be in the Father's house where he's been preparing a place for us, his bride, for almost 2,000 years. Jesus gives a very detailed account of his second coming in, in Matthew 24. He gives an abbreviated one while well, we have it in Luke 21. So we'll come back to this stuff in, in a while. But let me just throw out a few things to consider. Because of Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38, we know that Israel has to be in the land in the end times. Before the tribulation, before the, the return to establish the millennial kingdom, Israel had to be in the land. Well, for a while, the, the church believed it, and then they kind of got away from it. And then, well, 1948, lo and behold, there they are in the land. 1967, they take Jerusalem and make it their capital. It is the fulfillment of prophecy. And even today, there are many, not just people who surround nation, uh, Israel, those nations, although they, some of them deny their very existence, which is hard to do. It'd be like me saying, you guys don't exist, even though I'm looking at all of you. No, I, I know you exist and, and Israel exists. But some say, well, we don't acknowledge their right to exist. Well, that's another thing altogether. But God says he chose them. He made a covenant with Abraham that, that they are a part of. And, and he said he would restore them to the land. He said that land would blossom and flourish. And, and man, it has and is. And, but there's so much more. 
He said not only would Israel be in the land, but there would be wars and, and, and nations against nation and kingdoms against kingdoms. Do you know in the last century, we had World War I and World War II. That's nations against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. I was thinking about this one. Do you know that's, what, that's the war we're in now? It is a world war, and, but nobody's, nobody's acknowledging, or a few are, that we're actually in the midst of it, not awaiting it. But it's kingdoms colliding, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And all the other skirmishes are, are really about that. Ultimately, that's what's going on behind the scenes. Famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. When you start telling people that, hey, this is a sign that Jesus is about to come, they, they're going to say, there have always been famines. There have always been pestilence. There have always been earthquakes, and that's true. But he says these famines, pestilence, and earthquakes would be like birth pangs. And listen, get this. All of us have been at a birth. Not all of us remember it, but many of us have been at two births, our birth and someone else's birth. I got to watch my boys be born. And I remember when those pains those birth pangs increased in frequency. They were coming closer and closer together and intensity. Pam was starting to look at me with a scary look, you know, and, and I was like, I want out of here. Uh, but in the midst of that, I knew those babies were about to come. And that's what he's saying it'll be like. Yes, these things have always happened, but not with the frequency and intensity that's taking place today. And we can research it. We have the computer so we can actually get on there and check it out and see what was happening in the past and see what's happening in the present and track it and see. It's happening, you see, just as he said it would. He tells us that there would be a time of great tribulation such as never been nor would ever be again. Again, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, very Jewish. It's called Daniel's 70th week, similar situation. It's called the tribulation and then the great tribulation. We are told by our Lord that it would be a time of perplexity. It means men would look at all of the situation, you know, economic and, and governmental and, and, and every other, you know, the environmental issues. And they would just think there's no way out of this. They're coming to that conclusion. He said, expect that. He said it would get so bad that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. He said, we'd get to the point where we could completely annihilate ourselves. Can you imagine? For 1900 years of human history, they looked at that and said, no way. But I grew up in the generation where we prepared for Russia's attack by getting under our school desk. And just in case they nuked us, you know, the bomb came, we'd be safe under the desk. And, <laughs> and so... I have always believed we could annihilate ourselves. And if you're younger, you've grown up knowing, hey, not only could we annihilate ourselves, but a hundred times over, we're there. Jesus said there'd be false Christ and false prophets using signs and wonders to deceive the nations. He prophesied there would be one world government, one world religion, one world monetary system. And we had the League of Nations and we have the United Nations and we're heading to... The Antichrist nation. Now, again, I don't expect to be here for all this, but, but I do know that everything he says is going to happen is going to happen. One world religion, you need to know it will not be Christianity. It won't be a bloodless religion, though. You see, Christianity is birthed in the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. This, this religion will be all about a man, not God, a man who thinks he's God and poses as God, who will broker 
and negotiate the rebuilding of Israel's temple and there in Jerusalem. And he'll do it and the world will say, oh, he's the prince of peace. He's made peace and it's all working out. And midway through that seven year period, he'll stand in that temple declaring he's God, demanding he be worshiped by all the penalty for refusal will be death. One world government, one world ruler, one world religion, one monetary system. We're getting closer and closer to that. We are hearing more and more often, not just about the global economy, but, but about the declining dollar and how Russia and other countries are talking about replacing whatever currency everywhere. All the oil in the world is bought with dollars. Are you aware of that? All the oil in the world, they use dollars. And they're saying, we got to get out of this dollar, out from under this dollar. And, and it's interesting because I know... Well, they might try to go to this or go to that. It's not going to be ruples. It's not going to be euros. It's not going to be yen. And it's certainly not going to be Turkish money. I got this some years back in Turkey. It's real. This is real money. It's a vermilion. I know you can't see it, but it says it's vermilion. And I was like, I'm a vermilionaire. I was so excited. <laughs> the problem, even years ago when I first got this, all it could buy is about a cup of coffee. And so a vermilion, so what? The, the, the issue is the dollar is going to decline as it happened quick. I mean, gold shooting and people are like, oh, we got to get gold or we got to get this, got to build it. No, it's none of that. He's saying, are you ready for his return? It isn't about getting ready to survive. It's getting ready to go home. It's finishing the work he's left us here to do because it's not going to be yen. It's not going to be dollars. It's going to be cashless. And we're closer and closer to it. Have you tried to book a flight lately? If you try to book a flight with cash, I'm not sure it can't be done. But I would expect your visit to the airport is going to be, well, that search will be a little more detailed than ordinary because it's like they just don't trust you if you're using cash. And lots of airlines just won't even accept cash anymore. And more and more, we're headed toward that system that he says is going to happen. Antichrist will rule over the world. That's going to happen. And then what happens? As bad as all this sounds, it's a happy ending. Why? Because before it all starts up, we're going home. And when it all winds down, we're coming back to rule and reign with our Lord and Savior for a thousand years. That's his promise. And then he says in these last verses, and we conclude with them so we can worship together. Yes, and why? Verse 57, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge. The judge to the officer, the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you've paid the last might. What's he saying? Make sure you settle all your debts now. Make sure you settle all your accounts now. Why? We don't know how long we have. And there is accountability for these debts. Now, the greatest debt anyone can have is the debt that sin brings about. Sin separates us from God. Because the wages of sin is death, not just physically, but spiritually. And, and it's an important picture. The wages of sin is death. We work so hard at sin and all we get out of the deal is death. But he says, but the gift of God, everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He has more for us, a plan, a purpose, a, a, a life for us. So the question, are you ready for the Lord's return? Well, it, it should be answered. Yes, I've trusted in him and I'm awaiting his call. I'm waiting for that trumpet to sound. I know I'll be with him. 
But then ultimately it's about, well, what about between here and there? Are we, as he left us to be, ready witnesses for him? Are we waiting and watching and working? Are we faithful and wise stewards and servants? Are we ready for the Lord's return? I have noticed that many people, even those who love the Lord, are living in fear over what they expect to happen to the world in the future. For some, this fear causes them to retract from the world, to isolate themselves, live in darkness, even though they have the light of life in them. I do not believe that is what Jesus wants from us, and I do not believe that is the reason he gives us the warnings that he does. Luke 21.9 tells us, But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Well, if I did not have the Lord to watch over me, I would be terrified of those things. However, when they do start to happen, which they already are, it brings me a feeling of excitement in that I know the Lord's return is much closer than we would think. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.